Okay, here we are once again. Welcome to all those on the Internet, and I should say this really fast. Uh, I noticed on uh, one of the um, uh, YouTube thingies, whatever we would want to call it, uh, that there was a comment made from somebody who called himself Visionary Philosopher, and he had a question. And I'll address it a little bit today, but um, if you're interested in that question because you watch these things, I'll get into it next week more. So essentially the question is, is that if free will exists uh, post-restoration of all things, then what is in place to keep the sin from reoccurring or the rejection of Christ from reoccurring or the rejection of God? Uh, interesting question, I think, and um, I'll, like I said, I'll touch on it just a little bit today but mostly next, next week. Okay, so here we are, March the 12th, 2017, lecture discussion number 274 on the book of Romans, and left off at lecture number 273, that's math, for those of you who wonder why I get the big money, uh, with Genesis 2.17. So let's put that right on the board to start out. Genesis 2.17, I don't know if it's in the bulletins, that would require that we have some kind of Coordination, which I can't promise occurred. But we're at Genesis 2.17 and, and promising here to examine the meanings of this verse as best we are able. It is an extremely complicated, uh, difficult verse to understand. Hardly is ever um, given the attentiveness that is necessary. Foremost in it is that it is the first mention of death in, the, in Scripture. So this is where death is initiated. The Bible has not just the cause of death in it, but also has the reasons for death and has the solution to death. So this is where death is the first mentioned, death's introduction, if you will, and that alone would demand that uh, our being alert to it, to that particular verse. If you are concerned about why we have this physical decay issue, death by decay, or why we have death by outside force. Well, the Bible will begins the addressing of that at Genesis 2.17. And for that reason alone, we should deal with it, I think, or at least know that the verse is there and what is incorporated in all of it. But when we notice, aside from that, that Satan, the most cunning of all created beings, which means he has wisdom that we can't even begin to estimate. Satan himself uses this declaration of God at Genesis 2.17. If you're not familiar with the verse, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. That is the collapsed version of it. Satan uses that declaration, though Satan denies its verity. He says it's a lie. When he is seeking the death of the woman, this is the verse he uses when he is attending to kill Eve, or the woman. Genesis 2.17. And now, therefore, we can be sure that Genesis 2.17 is among the extraordinary of Scripture. It is rare because of what is there. And as you know, I've been about the work the last few weeks of assembling Genesis 2 components with Genesis 3 components and Genesis 4. What I mean by that, and I'll say this phrase a great deal as the weeks go by, occurrences traceable to a cause. Or, if you will, what caused this? Something is causing things. 
what is doing it. Why did Satan attack the woman, I have been asking you? Why did Cain kill Abel? Both of those are death by outside force, as opposed to morogenic degeneration or the mortogenic factor, death by decay. Why did Satan attack the woman? Had he attacked anyone else prior? If he had attacked anyone else prior, who did he attack and what methodology did he use? Again, why did Cain kill Abel? What made Adam choose fig leaves? Why did Adam name the woman Eve? Why not Betty? Why Eve? We're told what the meaning of Eve is, but why, why that meaning? Why is there sorrow and pain in childbirth? Just to name a few questions that are traceable back to what caused them. My point is, yea, you say in unison, he has a point. I, my point is, is that it is, that it is possible and it is wise to track down the source, the origin of all of these questions. A residue has been left. Think popcorn trail, if you want, or footprints. I've always said footprints, or you can start drawing. There was a brilliant theologian, Clarence Larkin, wrote a book where he outlined the trail of the serpent. Everywhere Satan went through the Bible, he documented it, and you could trace it from one from the beginning to the end of Revelation, and you could, by watching that tracing, those footprints of Satan, you could figure out why Satan was doing certain things. It isn't arbitrary. It isn't capricious. It isn't uh, impulsive. This is a cunning, brilliant, incredibly intelligent being. And he's, he's far more thoughtful than we can ever even imagine. We're idiots next to him. So, find the footprints and retrace the steps or the anatomy of these things back to their onset or their inception. When you do that, you will understand fully what and why things happened, as well as safeguard against interpretive error, which is quite common in Genesis 2 and 3 and 4. Call it whatever, cause and aftermath or contextual evaluation or if P then Q, but doing that leads to accuracy, which I would think is the goal of most. I would be wrong. That's not the goal. It's hardly ever the goal to be accurate. I'm going to concede the obvious here. Many love being wrong. They love it. Why do they love being wrong? Because wrong is profitable. There's financial, huge financial rewards in staying wrong. In the scientific community, as an example, non-falsifiable, anthropogenic or anthropocentric, if you wish, global, global warming. Human caused, for lack of a better term, but I have to be precise because they send me mail if I'm not. A good, a fortune, a great fortune is to be, has been reaped through data manipulation and the disregard of counterproductive evidences. Is it human-caused or is it just natural climate variability? There's no money in it if it is natural. If the science says it is naturally caused variability, then there is nothing financial there. The money is in blaming it on human activity. 
Because humans can be punished for it. And how do we punish humans for it? We take their money and we give it to us who have decided arbitrarily mostly that that is what is true. When it is wrong and they love being wrong and they're never going to stop being wrong until the incentive is removed. Having said that about the scientific community, as you noticed, um, they are pikers. They're amateurs compared to who? The religious entities, that's right. The, the contemporary church is unequaled in this area, in this arena. The, the vast financial riches are accumulated by being purposely wrong in the church. Knowingly wrong. Again, passion overcomes reason. Passion for something. Let me put it a different way. Passion obliterates reason, which always gives rise, I'm sorry, to predation or to predators who will plunder the vulnerable. I said this a while back. If you act like prey, you're going to be treated like prey. Okay, I digressed into ranting. Because it's daylight savings, and I'm hungry for cake. Ranting is my default position. It's also a tension release mechanism. It makes me happy. So you'll have to put up with it. It also kind of fits in today. Let's make a list. Because list maker is going to list. Genesis 2.17 is... Where we're going to be, actually, we're going to be at 2.16 through 17. But before that, well, I'll put it out of order here. We're going to go to Genesis 2.7 through 8. And then Genesis uh, 2.20 Moving on to Genesis 3, 1 through 5, and ending in Genesis 3, 20 through 23. That is today's picking up popcorn or following a trail or tracing steps, whatever you wish to call it. So we're going to reread this list all the while knowing that the list is completely and totally incomplete. Does that make sense? Because there's more to the list than what I gave you. It's more things can be found that you can find footprints in. I just limited it to this. So let's start out with Genesis 2, 7 through 8. And make, and, and discover the footprints, I guess is the best way I'm going to, I'll say it that way just to keep it relatively uniform. Here we go. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Why did he form man from the dust of the ground? What were his options? Again, he's omniscient God. There aren't any options other than this one. His omniscience makes that so. But let's grant the failed hypothesis and say, speculate, why didn't he make Man out of thin air, if you will. That's still, uh, there's still hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, right? Moisture. He did not. He made him from the dust of the ground. Which dust did he use? We know which dust he did not use. 
He did not use the dust inside of the garden. He used the dust outside of the garden. Why did he do that? And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And God and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So he made him out of the garden, and he put him into the garden. And so now we have some information, don't we? He made the body from dust. Body dust. There's an old church joke about that. He made him a living soul. Notice I didn't repeat the church joke. Ask me later. This is a family show. And he placed him inside the garden. It's not a bad joke. I just don't have time to be hilarious today. So there's our information. We know, we talk about it all the time, don't talk about it enough that man is formed of the dust and the breath of life. That's two components. The two components are identified. A body from the materials of the earth and a God-breathed component which causes man to be a living soul. So, that's something that we have to define. Living soul. What is the material of the soul? What's it made out of? We're told what it's made out of. What is it made out of? If I asked you, how much does your soul weigh? You're putting it into a material construct, and that wouldn't be intelligent. So I won't. I will ask you instead something equally wrong. What is your spirit made out of? Again, that implies materialism. It's not material. It's immaterial, which means it's a spiritual Material, and what is it identified as in the Bible? It's identified as God's breath. So who, who is the source of your living soul? God himself is. The body is made out of dust. Now that implies that it is physical, but it's a lot more complicated than that. Next we go to Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Freely eat. Talked about this last week, introduced it. We're going to beat it to death today. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. So there we go. Two more footprints. What am I saying to you? I am saying that body made from dust is connected to living soul logically. If I make a body from dust, I have to have a living soul. I have to have both components. And then, because he's now got the dust and the living soul, he's able to be placed into the garden. That's why he's placed into the garden. And then, free will is introduced. He's placed into the garden because he has free will. Does that make sense? 
cause and effect, traceable to a cause, and surely die is now the next logical progressive piece or footprint. And seeing these freely eat and surely die positioned as they are, that should make us wonder as to their interrelation to place it in a question form for you. How is it that the exercise of free will is relevant to surely die? Notice I'm not defining surely die. I'm leaving that to you for a while. But somehow, free will is relevant to surely die or taking from the tree of good from evil. Does free will necessitate an opportunity to destroy oneself? Now I'm getting into the comment from YouTube. Does free will necessitate the opportunity, an opportunity, to destroy oneself? Or why did God place a free moral agent, Adam, the man, excuse me, (coughs) daylight savings time. Can I blame my imperfections on daylight savings time next week too, can I? Because there's a residual effect, is there not? It takes how many, how long for old people like me to get over daylight savings time? I think a year. Which now, if I go, let's, let's give me the year. You could see how this is going to work. It'll always be daylight savings time's problem. Why did God place before Adam, who is a free moral agent, the autonomy to reject him? Reject his creator. Why did he do that? Why is it necessary that surely die is on the board? We kind of covered that in the past. I'm covering it again. I get new people listening by the Internet all the time. And so I know you know most of this, but, but stick with me. I'll make it difficult in a minute. My goal every lecture is to make you flunk the test, right? Okay. So have faith in me. Obviously, free moral agency is connected, is established somehow, is made visible, it's demonstrated, just to keep reusing the same words, by knowing good from evil. Somehow that's the case. Does that make sense? Living soul, free will, surely die, placed inside the garden, body dust, all of those are talking about the same subjects. Again, Free moral agency connected to knowing good from evil somehow. Now, Satan's premise, and this is visionary philosopher for those of you following by internet. Satan's premise contains the element that free agency, free will, is only proven by choosing evil. You get that? I'm glad you said no. But that's the principle. That's Satan's premise. And that is what many people believe. It's a commonly held, held view. They believe that the only way you can really generate or really produce uh, evidence of free will is by rejecting God and choosing evil. That is identical to the premise of, or the hypothesis or the lie of Satan. But Satan didn't believe it. That's the difference. Satan knew that it wasn't true. He knew it was false. He knew it was a lie. I'll prove that next week. Ask yourself the most obvious of the obvious questions. Here's a place where I need to intervene because I am obviously being obviously being copied by people on 
in the news media. They have stolen my sorry, not really fake sorry. They have stolen it. That's because we do not have the legal capability to attack them as we should. Now they're stealing my obvious question. So I've set a trap for them here. And I'm going most obvious of the obvious questions almost all the time to see if they will go ahead and take the bait and start stealing that. If they do, then we bring the hammer down and we take our $12, $14 offerings and we go and invest it in a really good attorney. And we attack them. They'll never know it's coming. Okay. Obvious the most obvious of the obvious. If someone only chose that which is good, would that be evidence of automation? Would that be a robotic device? If it only could choose good, does that make it a robotic, a robotic mechanism? Or does it make it wisdom? In other words, if all you ever did was choose good, are you a robot or are you wise? That's the question. The premise that I see all the time is choosing evil demonstrates that you have free will. Well, if all you ever did then was choose good, are you, in fact, exercising free will? Anyway, got to stop there for today. Just notice that I am placing Genesis 2-7 alongside of 2-16 through 17 and tracing these footprints. Body from dust goes to living soul, leads to, causes free agency, and that goes to surely die. And in the middle of that is placed inside the garden. I've actually put them in order. Now, another quick aside here really fast. Who's watching this? Who watched the body being created from dust? Who watched God breathe the living soul into the body? Who watched God place the body, Adam, that is now a living soul, into the garden? Who told him, who watched and heard God say, how loud did God talk? Who heard it? Who understood it? And I think the entire angelic realm is on board right here. Now, why? Why would they be doing that? Why are they interested? What would make them do that? What would make them do that is that it affects them. How does it affect them? Do they think that all of this is really about them? Are they a teenage girl? No matter what you say, no matter how far away you are when you say it, they will run to you and say, why are you talking about me? Okay? That's what I'm doing. I'm assigning teenage girlness. Is that a word, girlness? Somebody will steal it from me and I'll have to sue them. Do the angels watch this, the entire angelic realm? That would be the fallen and the unfallen. Are they watching this saying that this is intended for us? The Bible clearly says that we, the saved, are on display for the angelic realm. So why are they watching? They watched Christ and Satan in Matthew 4. And they watched Adam and Satan in Genesis 3, or 2, if you will. They also watched the woman and Satan. What were they thinking when they're watching? 
How did this apply to their current status or their current situation? How long had they been in the condition they're in? Is that condition different from the condition that which they were originally created? How was it differentiated, in other words, from their prior condition? So, okay, got all of that. Now back to more list making. Oh, I got to read first. Genesis 2.20. And Adam gave names to all cattle. How many cattle were there? Gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air. Now, you may, again, I've made this comment many, many times over the years. You may have the impression that he said, all of you guys are birds. And I don't think that's what he did at all. I think he gave individual names to each individual creature. That's what it says. And to every beast of the field. How much intellect does this man have? Remember, he's not deceived by Satan. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs. It's, again, it's not rib. It's Sela, T-S-E-L-A. I know that's a combination of capitals and lowercase, but that's because of daylight savings time. And not enough cake, which I will take care of today. Apparently, day supper, Pastor Supper Dave, put that we're having cake today on the internet. That accounts for the upswing in attendance, and it might even make them realize what my jokes are, which will be a new thing. Adam names all the cattle. Every bird, every beast gave names to all of them. Okay, so, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs, really his side, he took out of his side and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the side or the bone material which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman, builded a woman, it said, it says, and he brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Okay. Adam names everything. He's naming He's demonstrating his capabilities. Who is he demonstrating it to? Back we go to the angelic realm. And to who specifically? Pick somebody that's paying attention to what this man can do. But there's no other human. He gave name, Adam gave names to everything, every animal. Did he duplicate any? How many did he call Steve? I'm thinking one. I'm hoping one. Probably none. But he gave names to all of them. There was no other human being. Adam had no helper like him to name. And so after this is made clear, the fact that there is no other human, a helper like him is not made from the dust like he was. It's made from him himself. So not from the dust directly, but 
from Adam who was made from dust. And what does Adam do with her? What's the first thing he does? What has he been doing? How long did it take him to do all of this? He's naming things. How long? And what does he do as soon as that woman is brought to him? What's he do? He names her. What's he name her? Woman. And he tells you why. Because she's made out of me. Naming is clearly the prevailing detail, the emphasis of this verse. Name, or this passage. Naming. And dust. Or if you will, no dust would be correct. So there I am again, more footprints. Body made from dust, living soul breathed, placed inside the garden. Now we're moving along. That's the order. The next order, gotta be, this has got to be next. Can't be anything but. Now's time for free will. Then surely die. Naming. But it's not, she's not made from dust. So far, so good. Still with the bus. Now we go to Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Hath God said, or indeed, did God indeed say, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You will not eat it, shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. A lot of things we covered last week, I'll cover them again. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. I surely die on the list? Yes, it is. Here it comes again. Do you think the two surely dies are connected? They absolutely are directly connected. For God knows that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be like gods, knowing good from evil. Or like one of us, if you will. That's what I said last week. So the cunning serpent, as you know, did not include the word free, did not include free will. He did not say, can you eat, didn't God say you can eat from all the trees freely? He didn't put free will in, and the woman also eliminates freely. She did not say, but of the fruit of the, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat freely. Remember, it's a commandment from last week, a commandment. You will, he commands them to eat freely. What's implied? They have the capacity to eat freely. So what did he just say to them? You are free moral agents. You have free agency. And Satan and the woman come along now just a few verses later and omit it. Discard it. Ignore it. Is that intentional? Yes, it is. The moral agency, the free will, is gone. That isn't coincidental. That isn't accidental. They didn't let it slip. This is the most cunning of any creature ever made. And this is the first woman. Her intellect is astonishing. Do not think she is dumb. Please, that's what we call the the flawed Adam position. Everyone assumes that Adam... The man who is a type of Christ and is said that 
Satan did not deceive him. Almost every church universally portrays him as an idiot. It doesn't fit the text. It's just simply indefensible. Why do we want Adam and Eve to be stupid? I think because we want company. I think it's obvious. We're stupid, so we want them to be stupid like us. Actually, we want them to be more stupid than us. We do that because why? Daylight savings. How much mileage can I get out of that joke? We're going to find out. That's how we're doing it. You have to listen, and most of you have to laugh. Why? Because it's cake day. That's right. Okay. Again, the omission of free will is not accidental. It's purposeful on both of them. Satan leaves it out purposely, and Eve leaves. She doesn't correct him. And the fa- and people will say to me, well, Adam probably didn't mention it. It's a commandment. And it's critical. It's the linchpin. It's the whole point. He would not have, uh, have left it out if he were responsible for the instruction, as I'm certain he is. And she said, uh, intentionally does not bring it to the fore. And I think it's relevatory of their beliefs, both of them with respect to free will. They rendered free will non-existent. I think that's what they believed. Except not Satan. Satan didn't believe it. He knew free will was true. The woman admits that she was beguiled or deceived. But that let's just go. The, the purposefulness of it is relevatory of their beliefs with respect to free will. And that raises the immediate question, the most immediate of the immediate questions, which I keep asking. What is the motivation of the woman for engaging the serpent at the tree in the first place? How far away is it? How long did it take her to get there? Why did she go? Did she know Satan would be there? Who else is watching? Who else is around? And to repeat from last Sunday, how is the woman's reasoning revealed in her sentencing? Because she goes on trial for this immediately afterwards. Christ comes. Christ is a physical manifestation of the triune Godhead. So that is him that is walking in the garden that they hear. That is his voice that asks them questions that he's omniscient God, that he knows the answers to, that are there for our sake and their sake. And she gets this sentencing. She is sentenced to pain and sorrow and childbirth. So that pain and child and sorrow, I'm sorry, pain and sorrow and childbirth is directly uh, attached to her motivation for engaging the serpent at the tree and for omitting free will. And and her husband's now ruling over her also. Something to do, that sentence has something to do with why she went to the tree and why she said you can't touch it. And why she said, omitted the word free or free will. How do the footprints lead from free will to childbirth sorrow and, and husband rule? I don't have room to put it on the board. You can do it without me. I have faith in you. Doesn't seem like that's much of an intuitive match. Most people do not see that free will will lead you to pain and sorrow and childbirth 
and your husband ruling over you when you omit it. But it must be so. And not just because I say it is so. Though many are persuaded by the great weight that I bring to this position. Many is a relative term. As you know. And great weight is open to definition. Not necessarily complimentary. (coughs) One person smiled when I said that. I keep track of you and want you to know. The woman inserts, neither shall you touch it. And I said last week, that carries tremendous implication. One of them is, is that Satan was obviously touching it. You can't touch it. We can't touch it, she said. Neither shall we touch it, be allowed to touch it. But Satan clearly is touching it. It also demonstrates the woman's predisposition to modify God's command, placing more constriction on free will. If she had any idea of free will in her mind, she is already begun to strangle it. Why did she do that? Why agree with Satan's position that free will is stunted at best and non-existent at worst? Because if it is not existent, then again, we're robotic. We're mechanisms. We're mechanical. We have no existence. And what is causing the woman to say these things which are clearly calling into question the goodness, the character of God? What is making her do this? Does she resent God? Is she envious of Satan? Does she resent Adam? Is she envious of Adam? What is her, what is her emotional, if you will, status? You consider what it is and I'll keep moving. Somehow it is tied to free will and pain and sorrow and childbirth and her husband ruling over her. So when you put it together, it's got to fit. Satan says you will not surely die. You won't. You shall not surely die, which makes us ask, what is Satan's definition of surely die? What does he mean when he says you will not surely die? And that makes us ask what God's definition of surely die is, because both of them have used the term. Do you think they, they align Satan and God's definitions? The final piece of Genesis 3, 1 through 5 is, is this, you shall be like God's. I said last week, that is the conclusive piece of information that flipped Eve. That is why she went to the tree and took the fruit. One, he said, you will not surely die. In fact, you will be like one of us. You will be like gods. Like the gods. Who are the gods? Where did they come from? How did they get to be this? Who's on the list for you to identify them? So, to repeat some of this, the omission of free agency, neither shall you touch it, more constriction, more uh, restriction, more strangulation of it, the elimination of free will, which means that she does not have existence. You shall not surely die, and you shall be like gods. That's on the board. Now, we'll conclude here, I hope. Yes, we do. Looking at my list, Genesis not conclude the lecture. We're just getting started. You should see the faces when I do that. I've actually had people leave when I've said that. Today, that would mean what? 
More cake for me. That's exactly right. Okay, Genesis 3.20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. I'll put that up here knowing that I've left out more from my list next week. We will get to it. He named her again. This is the second time he's named her. How many times are you going to name her? But it's what he does. He likes to name. It's his job to name. He's running around naming. What does that demonstrate for him? How accurate are his names? How complex? Unto Adam, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So that means something was sacrificed. I believe the text is obvious, especially as you get into Exodus and the Passover. These are slain lambs and the blood of lambs, the blood of of the lamb is, is over both of them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become like one of us. So not like the gods at all, huh? Like one of us. One of the us. To know good and evil, or no good from evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also from the tree of life. So the status, the condition he is in, cannot be allowed to go on ad infinitum, into infinite. Infinity. It has to be stopped. He has a covering, but he is in sin. Therefore, the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken, from where he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Here's the concluding portion to the second and third chapters of Genesis. And we should expect resolution here. This is where this is all solved. Everything that we've discussed is solved in this passage that I just gave you. We should expect that because it's at the end. And by that, I mean these verses resolve. They explain all these preceding issues that I have raised. The whys of what preceded. The final verses will be decided here. Though, um, though some are in chapter 4. But mostly here. Adam names the woman, a second naming. There's a first naming, and now a second naming. The namer has a final naming. Why does the woman take over the naming? As she does, she names Cain and Abel. Why didn't Adam name Cain and Abel? We'll have to investigate that. But for today... The mother of all the living, Eve, is named. She is named. The woman who has killed herself, and ultimately, by taking the fruit, by taking the poison, she's killed herself. She hands it to Adam, who, who is now, who takes it also. And I have covered this hundreds and hundreds of times. It's all over the Internet somewhere. Uh, why he took it. How much time is in between here. What with her means. And she is given, however, this name living. And so, again, whose definition of living is attached here? Is there more than one definition of living? And I submit, no, there's not. There's only one definition of living. Do you know it? Do you have it? There's only one definition, which means any, everything else is a death state of some kind. If there's only one thing that is living, everything else is dead. Only God's opinion of living, of what life is, has any validity. Our thoughts have not been considered. Our deficient statements or sentiments are best left in silence if they contain any divergence from his definition of living. So, 
We have the second naming. We have the coats of skin. We have the behold, the man is become like one of us. One of us. The one and the us are capitalized. He's become like one of us to know good from evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also from the tree of life while he's in a death state, we've got to stop him. Because he'll be in a death state forever. And God even calls it live forever. In a death state. That, by the way, oh, at all this way. And I'm sad to say that one of you now, because I have said, by the way, two of you now will not get cake. I'm sorry. Not really. Fake, fake, sorry. All of that was fake. Because he's in a death state, he has to be stopped from going to the tree of life or he will be in a death state forever. Unredeemable, that is the second death in Revelation. Therefore, the Lord God drove the man back to the dust from where he originally was formed. You see how it all comes into the circle. It all goes back. We started by taking him out of the dust and we put him back into it. I've asked the question, did he excavate a very, you know, did he, could you see where he took the dust? And did he walk him back out and put him right in that very spot? Adam is made. How much time before he's put in the garden is there? He's made. He's got living breath inside of him. And there he is. And God now comes to him and says, because you've been made from dust, because you now have a living soul in you, it's time to put you in the garden. Would Adam remember the spot that he was standing in when he went into the garden? This is the guy that did what? Named everything. How good is his memory? Would you say he has a photographic memory? That would be lessening. That would be insulting him. But I want you to see this. The, 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 it all comes back. And cherubim and a flaming sword. Satan was, of course, the anointed cherub, Ezekiel 28.14. He's the highest of the cherubim. He is the boss. He is king, if you will, of the cherubim. And they would know him, wouldn't they? And all that remains for us now is to decipher the meanings of the pieces. And, and doing so, I believe, will bring clarity and precision and closure in the sense that we're going to have the correct interpretive Conclusions. How will you know if your conclusions are correct? It's because they will be God-honoring, which means they will be Christ-honoring. So let's begin with surely die. I have to erase my board now in order to get everything on here. So, both Satan and God said, surely die. Surely die. God and surely die from Satan. And the question immediately is, is surely die the same surely die? Or are they different surely dies? 
And if they're different, surely dies. What's the difference between the surely dies? Got all of that? Good. Surely die is followed by naming and preceded by free will agency. We know that. We have our list. Here's surely die. Followed by naming, preceded by free will agency. So we know these two will reflect on it immediately. Now, free will agency, of course, traces back to living soul and being placed inside the garden. So we know we can understand what free will is about by looking at surely die and living soul and placed inside the garden. So far, the logical exercise. Why I did paradox reasoning a few months ago or months ago. Who was here when I gave you paradox reasoning? Do you see why now? Admit that I had a plan. Do it. Nobody, not a single person, ever raises their hand here because of the wisdom that is in this congregation. (laughs) But we should first entertain, based on the location of Shirley Die and the footsteps that came before and the footsteps that come after, what the definition of Shirley Die might be. And well, let's take a look. Free will is an attribute without severability from existence. Non-severable. Existence is immortal living. Being a living soul is existence. Living soul is the obvious opposite of surely die. So let me put that there. These are opposites. The living soul is one of the two parts of man. I can't say that enough. A material body, I've got to constantly reinforce this, and a living soul. Did I say reinforce? I hope I did. You see, omniscient God says to his created man, who he just created, to whom omniscient God breathed in a living soul, eat of the poison and you will surely die. Let me repeat. This omniscient God, outside of time, the creator of time, did he know what was going to happen? He can't help but know what's going to happen. He's omniscient God. Does his omniscience force it to happen? No, because we are living souls who have free agency. Now That is a seeming paradox, but it's not. Deal with that again as time goes by in the coming weeks. He says to him, and let me repeat, you eat of the poison and you will surely die. Does God know, omniscient God know what he's talking about? Please answer yes. Okay, so far so good, I hope. Did Adam surely die as God defines surely die? Yes or no? Don't raise your hand. Did the woman surely die as Satan defines surely die? Don't raise your hand. Satan was clear to the woman, you shall not surely die as Satan defines surely die. But did she surely die as God defines surely die? Which surely die did the woman have? 
So let me repeat that. Satan was clear to the woman, you shall not surely die. Did the woman surely die, yes or no? How are you defining surely die? Is your portraiture of surely die in accord with God's? I would think you would wish it to be so. Was Satan's definition the same as God's definition? We can safely surmise that Satan lied, because he does that, duh. But it was a cunning lie. It contained elements that were intentionally left in obscurity, in shadow, that he concealed there. Remember, the eyes of both of them were opened. It's not on the board, Genesis 3-7. And they knew that they were naked after they took the poison. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings because that was brilliant. And Adam and Eve both knew it. It was wise. What were their eyes open to exactly? The context would lead us to conclude that it was open to nakedness. That doesn't help. What's nakedness? God's definition. There's this mysterious question uh, that God, the omniscient God asks in Genesis 3.11. Who told you that you were naked? Someone apparently told Adam and the woman that they were naked. Or God, what is God just going, I don't know who told you. I think I, this is omniscient God. God. Omniscient God says, who told you? So who told you, told them that their eyes, that they were naked? What's the choices? They told each other. If you think they told each other, you can move to this section over here. Okay? God told them that they were naked. You like that one? Satan told them that they were naked. The angels told them they were naked. Which angels? How many angels I got? What kind of angels do I now have? I have two different statuses of angels or more statuses? The animals told them. Oh, you laugh. How intelligent were were the animals prior to the curse? What were their capabilities? Who told you you were naked? The other one is nobody told you. Previously, I've asked if Adam's nakedness was a type of Christ's nakedness. I hope you remember that. Nakedness has this exposure element. The hidden becomes unhidden. In the case of Christ, what was hidden in Christ? What is hidden in Christ? What did Christ hide? He hid his godhood. So when he's exposed on the cross, he is naked. His godhood is revealed at his first coming. It will be revealed again at his second coming. That's why it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ as God. Nakedness has also a death feature as well as separation. This living soul becomes separated from the physical body. Who told you that you are dead is what that question could easily be. Because you're acting like dead. How do I know that you're acting like dead? Because you did what? You sewed fig leaves together. Now, add that to surely die, which is more correctly this. And I think this will solve it for some of you. And I, This is what it really is saying. Dying you shall 
die. That's the literal. Or surely die. Eat from the tree, die, and you shall die. How many dines in that sentence? We can do the math. We are very, very good at this. There are two. So let me ask you this. Define dying, you shall, you shall die. Is that physical death? Spiritual death? Which is the second death? Both or neither? Which one of those was meant at Genesis 2.17 when he says, you eat from the tree, you will surely die? Was God wrong? You see, God cannot be wrong. Omniscience is impossible for him to be wrong. So when he said, you will surely die, they had to what? They ate from the fruit, so they surely died by God's definition. What is his definition? What is Satan's definition? I keep saying that enough. I keep saying that over and over again. Which of those was meant by Satan in Genesis 3, 4? Well, we can eliminate any, let's see if we can eliminate any of the four choices. I think we can. Did Adam eternally spiritually die? Die the second death, the lake of fire, Revelation 20:14 death. Did that happen to Adam? What's the answer? No, it did not. Did Eve die the second death? No, she did not. Adam is honored as a type of Christ. Romans 5.14. Welcome to the Romans study. Eve is the mother of all the living, a type of the bride of Christ. Both are covered in the blood of lambs. I think we can eliminate choice B, which is spiritual death. So now, all you're left with is physical death, both or neither. And next week, oh, and I say, I say this, keep in mind, God was not wrong in Genesis 2.17. Have no position that makes him wrong.